Hey, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm switching hats this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's Alan. I am one of the elders here at Greater Alton. Normally, it's one of the other two guys that you'll see preaching on a Sunday morning. The other two elders are Gary and Tim. How many of you guys are involved in a discipleship group? Show of hands. Well, in our discipleship group, it's me and Gary and Tim. And we get together every week and we talk about what we're learning from the Word of God, how to apply it to our lives, how we can help other people to apply it to their lives. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were talking about the church. Now, I grew up with understanding the church in one certain light. And then as I've grown and as I've studied it a little bit more, some other things have come to light. How many of you guys are going through the Beginning Studies series in your discipleship groups? Yeah, that's what I get to do more than anything is talk to a camera. So today you get me live. Well, we had done the last... Yeah, thanks. It's, I think, easier to talk to people than it is a camera, frankly. But there is no pause button. So I don't... And then there's no editing. So I may say something incredibly dumb and have to apologize, whereas normally I can just kind of cut it out of the film. So we're talking about this. And, and the last study in that series is on the church. And... So I was telling the guys some of the things that I had learned. And somewhere in my spiel, Tim looks at me and says, Hey, why don't you preach that? Well, I'd been on a spiel. There's no way I can say no. So, <laughs> so that was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, here I am. He gave me a title to work from. And the title is, Why Church? You know, I thought that would be easier than it was. How would you answer that question if someone asked you, Why Church? Kind of a broad topic, right? And so I thought, okay, well, how am I going to narrow this down? There's so much to say about the church. Where do I even start? So I thought, well, what I might do is start off going to Google and asking, why church? Just search that string. And what I found was an interesting poll that was put out by the Gallup people a couple of years ago. Now, they asked the question a little differently, but this is what they found. I think they asked the question maybe just a touch different than why church. I think it might have been, why are you going to church? But this is how they answered. 23% said, I go to church for spiritual growth and guidance. 20% said, well, it keeps me grounded or guided. 15% said, well, that's just my faith. It involves me going to church. Another 15% said, well, I go to church to worship God. 13%, the fellowship of other members. In other words, they liked being around the body. They're this group of people. Uh, 12% said because they believe in God and religion. That was their reason. And another 12% said uh, that they were just brought up that way. In other words, it was their tradition. So they kind of go to church out of habit. Do you guys see any bad answers in that, in that group? You know, I, at first I thought, well, I don't know if I would have answered it that way. But as I got to thinking about it, I thought, no, they're not such bad answers. But then I got to thinking about it a little bit more, and I see a pattern in these. Whose perspective were they answering the question from? Their own. Now, maybe it was just the way they were asked the question, you know, in fairness to the respondents of this poll. But how do we tend to want to answer a question like, why church? From our perspective, right? Did you write down by any chance, or could you even scribble down how you might go about answering that question? Because I'm hoping to challenge your thinking this morning on some things. If the church belongs to God, 
then he probably has a right to say what it's for. So, if we're going to answer a question like, why church? Maybe we ought to answer it from God's perspective. That's the, that's the, the assumption that I'm starting this lesson with. Now, where are my notes at here? Okay. So how far off track might we get if we don't switch our thinking and start thinking of it in terms of how God would answer the question? Do you think we might come to some wrong conclusions about church? Do you think we might get a little bit off of his purpose? You know, things that are, that are designed by a creator, they usually have a purpose behind it. Have you ever tried to drive a nail with a wrench? Come on, confess it. Right? I'm not the only idiot, right? Did it work real well? Have you ever tried to fix your TV with a hammer? There are tools for those. If we use something in a way that it wasn't really created, or we have a purpose for something that really wasn't the purpose it was created for, things can get messed up and in a hurry. I thought of this verse. I'll show it to you here. It's out of Matthew 16, verse 23. Now, this is on the occasion where most of us are kind of familiar with this verse. This is on the occasion where Jesus had just told the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me. And Peter stands up and says, uh-uh, nope, not going to have it. So Jesus says to him, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, most of the time, whenever I've heard this verse looked at, what we seize on is, geez, Jesus called Peter Satan. It's kind of harsh, man. But did you catch why he called him Satan? He says, you are an offense to me. Peter was being offensive to Jesus. And he gives the reason why. You're mindful of the things of man, not the things of God. I'm sorry, did I say that wrong? You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. I told you, here's where I would hit the pause button and go back and say, wow, I need to read my notes a little closer. I'm also having one of those bad eye days. I'm 50 years old this year, and my eyes are in transition. Anybody relate to that? I, some days I can clearly see the notes that are behind you and in front of me. Today is not one of those days. So I may misread some things and you may have to call me back to it a couple of times. So what's going on here is Peter is thinking about things from a human perspective, from his perspective. And, he, and Jesus says, that's offensive. How many of us are offensive to God for the very same reason? See, I think part of what we're up against as Christians, what we have to turn ourselves around to do is to repent from our sins, turn to God. We have to learn to see things through his eyes, the way that he sees them. That's the only way to get things straight. So, how would God answer the question, why church? You ever thought about it? What was God's purpose for church? Before we're even going to get into that, we probably need to make sure that we're talking about the same thing that God's talking about. For instance, is what we're doing here this morning church? Yes, no, maybe? I don't know that always what we're doing here on Sunday morning is really church. I'll try to explain that as we go along. But you know what? That's the common assumption in this country, isn't it? Most of us think what we're doing right now is church. We talk about it that way. I'm going to go to church. What are, we talk, what are we talking about? I'm going to go to a Sunday morning meeting. That's kind of what we have in mind. Well, the Greek word, the original word that was translated for us into the English word church is a word, word called ecclesia. 
Some of you guys have looked at this before. Ecclesia was a Greek word that originally had nothing to do with church. It was more of like a civic word. It was about those that were called out to do something, like maybe a volunteer fire department or maybe a, a city's militia. They used to have city-states. And so they would call out people to fight a fire or to fight a war. But the word ecclesia means those that are called out. It got used so often to describe Christians that it became synonymous with the church. If that's where the root word is, if that's what the root word is for church, doesn't it give you the idea that God had a purpose for his people? That we've been called out to do something? And if God was going to answer the question for us, why church? I think what he would point to is the purpose that he had in mind. Why we were called out to be a church. You with me so far? Okay. Like I said, there is a ton of information written on the church in the Bible. Why? Because it's a very, very important thing. God had a very specific purpose in mind. I only feel like I can give you about three of maybe the, the basic reasons that I found in Scripture, at least in this setting this morning. The first reason, or the first way that I think God would answer that question, why church, is that God, church is God's plan for raising his family. Church is God's plan for raising his family. Take a look, if you would, over at uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The Hebrew writer there says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Get who he's talking about? That's us. If we've been saved, if we've accepted Jesus, if we've been transferred out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son, then we're the ones that he's talking about here. And he says we're the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You realize that we're brothers and sisters of Jesus. That's a family, right? He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Well, that word assembly is the Greek word ecclesia. It's talking about the church. That, I don't know if I told you this, but that word ecclesia appears about 114 times in scriptures. It, it is mostly translated as church. Sometimes it's like this verse, it's translated assembly. And in one verse, it's translated congregation. So there's a synonymous nature here to this idea. Church is the family of God. I think it's important to understand that we're not told that it's like a family. It is the family of God. Why do we need a family? Why does God want his people to have a family? Anybody here raised a child? Had a baby? Been around a baby? Who raises a baby, ideally? The family, right? There's a family structure. Babies need a lot of help. Check out this passage. It's just a couple chapters back. It's in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 14. The Hebrew writer here is kind of concerned about the maturity of the group he's talking to. And he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid foods for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you see both roles inside the family represented in this verse? He's saying you guys need to be fed. 
A baby, who, who feeds the baby? Does the baby get up and walk to the refrigerator and grab a bottle? If he does in your house, let me know. I'll bring my video camera we'll make money. That doesn't happen very often. Usually it's someone in the family. And it says here, you need someone to teach you. That's the role of brothers and sisters, isn't it? There's a family structure that God has created for his family. He wants a large family. He wants his family to take care of each other for the maturity process, right? Well, we, I guess this is because when we think about it, when we become Christians, John 3.3 3 says that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't know of anybody that comes into the kingdom of God ready to start you know, like an adult. We start over. We have to change the way we think. It's a process. We're like spiritual babies. It requires some humility. So in the family of God, it's God's design, his plan. Why, church? He wants you to have a place where you can learn how to receive help and how to give help. Why? So that we can mature. Look over here at 1 Peter 2.2. Peter says, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It is abnormal for a baby to stay on milk. How long should a baby stay on milk? I've, it's been 25 years since I've had to answer this myself. How long should a baby stay on milk? Six months on milk? Nice. A mother-to-be. Six months. Is that a guess or do you know? That's what she hears. She's not going to stand on it, but she's going to tell you what she heard. Six months sounds good. What happens if they're six years old and they're still on milk? Well, we call that a developmental problem. We think of it as a tragedy. Why do we not think of it that way? In the church. I don't mean to get on anybody's toes. I didn't take this assignment this morning so I could offend a bunch of people. But how many of you guys are just sitting around waiting for someone to feed you? How many of you guys are, are content to take a bottle? Let other people do your thinking for you? How many of you are actually committed to being in a discipleship group? Where do you think the raising happens? In a discipleship group. That's how we go about it. Makes sense. You put guys together who are stronger and weaker. They learn how to feed on the Word of God, but they're not intended to stay there where somebody else does the thinking and the feeding. They're intended to learn how to feed themselves, and eventually they hand a bottle off to somebody else who's younger in the faith and help them get to where they can feed themselves. And they raise, and then they grow up in their salvation. That's God's plan. But you know, if we answer that question, why church differently than God, that plan sometimes gets frustrated. And guess what? It's an offense to God. See, when we choose church and we go to church based on what I get, my felt needs. I like a preacher who talks this way. Tim's funny. I like Tim. I like it because we get out in 20 minutes. Uh, which I'm going to try to be quick today, okay? Because I know you guys got to get to camp. I'm going to try to be quick. But when we start going after what I want, what I get, and how I like it, is that really the purpose that God had for church? I don't think so. And whenever you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God, what's the chances that you're going to be offensive to God? Pretty good. I don't want to offend any of you, and some of you I don't know that well. Some of you aren't that nice. God is incredibly kind. God is all-powerful. Some of you guys could hurt me. Some of you guys really couldn't. God could crush me like a worm without even thinking about it. But that's not the reason why I don't want to offend him. 
God is so kind and so benevolent with all this power and this authority. He's gracious and kind to people who hate him. People who refuse to believe that he even exists. He still allows them to breathe the same air. They get to feel the sunshine. They get to enjoy relationships, the taste of food. He's kind of benevolent to everybody. Why would I willingly be offensive to God? This whole thing about growing up in salvation, what does that mean? Have you thought, think about this for a second. If your idea of being saved is about going to heaven, if you think that being saved means I'm saved from hell so that I can go to heaven, this sentence doesn't work very well. How do you grow up into going to heaven? Now, I'm not going to try to preach another lesson here because this is a very good lesson to look at. That series that I told you about, that beginning study series, the seventh lesson is entitled Working Out Salvation. And so it takes a deeper look at this whole topic about salvation. But let me suggest to you that salvation is about the life we're living now. In another place in Hebrews, it says there are things that accompany salvation. Things that we're supposed to be doing. Anybody here ever salvaged anything? Go to a boneyard and get a piece off for a car or something like that, or something that you drug out of the trash, maybe even something that you pulled out of the fire. Did you do that just so you could say, ah, I don't know, I'll put this in my drawer somewhere? I'll shove it in a closet, forget about it? Maybe we'll have a rummage sale and I need things for the sale. Probably not. Most of us, when we salvage things, we do it because we have a purpose in mind for it. When we are saved by God, we have been salvaged and with a purpose in mind. And we're supposed to grow up into that purpose. Why do we need to grow up in our salvation? Because salvation is about being salvaged to do something. God's got a purpose. We're supposed to do something. If you answer the question, why church, from a purely what do I get out of it experience, if you're not looking at it from God's standpoint, you may never grow up in your salvation. You may simply turn into one of those guys who just goes and does something and forgets why he's doing it in the first place. And you'll be frustrated and your life won't change and you'll bear no fruit. Okay, second point I think that God would tell us. Church is God's plan for Jesus to have a body here on earth. Church is God's plan for Jesus to have a body here on earth. Lots of different scriptures talk about Jesus having a body. Uh, Colossians 1.18, I believe, talks about that Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his body. My notes are messed up somewhere. Okay, well, I also want to show you this verse. It's out of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Now, Paul here kind of describes what this body life is supposed to be like and what's supposed to happen in the body. Remember, this is what's supposed to be happening with us. And he says there, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see the the idea behind this God's plan, why church? It's to build up the body. Notice again, he doesn't say that we are like a body. He says we are the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As the body of Christ, we are to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Let that penetrate for a second. As a group, we're to fill out who he is. If Jesus was standing here and doing things and talking physically like he did 2,000 years ago, what would he be doing? That's what we're supposed to be doing for him. We're to fill out who he is. We're his body. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You notice how he defines infants, babies? They don't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. They rely on other people to tell them what's right and wrong. And they can get pushed around by every wind. So, how much, how, how do you reverse that? How do you stop being an infant? Well, one thing that I would encourage you to do is stop letting other people do the thinking for you. I know these guys, Gary and Tim and myself, and we are all committed to telling you as truthfully as we know to do it and trying to show you from Scripture why we believe the things we do, how we think you ought to go about trying to pursue some things, but we don't have any burning bushes in our backyards. We're not infallible. And you are never given permission from God to let us do the thinking for you. I'm going to be, like I said, I'm going to be 50 years old this year. I have changed my mind on several things as I've grown in my knowledge. And so what you scribble down as far as notes for me today, put a date beside it. Because next week or next year or ten years from now, I may understand it differently and hopefully better than I do today. And when you stand before the Lord, you are not going to be judged based on what I told you. You need to obey what you think it says. I can only be a resource for you. Gary can only be a resource for you. Tim can only be a resource for you. So if you're going to be lazy and you're going to cry for milk and ask for somebody else to feed you, don't be surprised when you get massively off course and watch your life get shipwrecked. This is a choice you make. Let me encourage you. Accept the responsibility. Again, you want to try and fix your TV with a hammer? You're not going to enjoy the results. Don't try to use church for something other than God's purposes. He wants you to grow up and to mature. Now, I, my daughter showed me a video clip. I'm going to show it now. It's an SNL clip. And I think it kind of illustrates my point pretty good. Patterson's office. Yeah, well, Mr. Patterson is the CEO of the fastest growing financial startup in history. So I think he's earned it. Yeah, I know. I'm actually really nervous to meet him. Well, you'll be fine. There's a few things you should know about him. He has the IQ of a genius. He loves fantasy football. And he has the body of a baby. Was nice All right. Pleasure talking to you as always, Bob. You take care now. All right. Mr. Patterson, uh, this is your new assistant, Craig. Hello, Pleasure to meet you. You as well. I've heard nothing but excellent things about you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Mitchell, can I please talk to you for one second? Oh, sure. What could this possibly be about? <laughs> uh, I'm with this guy. What do you mean? Mr. Patterson is the most brilliant financial mind of our generation. No, no, I... Yeah, no, I know, but I was, I was expecting, uh... I wasn't expecting this. Hey, Craig! 
Can you hand me those third quarter reports on that coffee table over there? Uh, yes, sir. What, uh, what, what, do they, what do they look like? You know what? Maybe it'll be faster if I just come to you. Are you, are you sure? Absolutely. <laughs> It's your first day, after all. And I know all this paperwork can be a little confusing. But you'll learn to get the hang of it. Here it is right here. Is that all? That's all you wanted them for? Yes, thank you very much. Hey, Mr. Patterson, I have your lunch right here. Excellent. I'll take it on the floor. Greg, please join me and tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I grew up in Seattle. Ah, love it. Uh, but but I, I moved to the East Coast when I got accepted into, into Yale. Oh, Yale. I, uh, I think I've heard of it. <laughs> and uh, and now I'm just looking for some, some, some real-world uh, financial experience. Oh, uh, that's very smart. <laughs> hey, Richard, you have a minute to go over a few things? I always get time for my favorite CFO. Ah, get over here. <laughs> On fifth? It's a big boy. Now, uh, as you know, I'm meeting with the board of directors this afternoon. Uh, I'm aware. Basically, I did some uh, cost analysis, and and I'm going to recommend that we go public in, honestly, about six to eight months. All right. All right. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Richard. I uh, I do appreciate that. We still on for tennis later? No, I can't. My foot's killing me. I banged it up yesterday. Oh, no. Um, do you want me to, to kiss it and make it better? Or... What? <laughs> no, I'm an adult man. Uh, oh, uh, one last thing, Richard. The uh, photographer from Forbes is here to take a picture. Hello, sir. Is now a good time? Uh, yes, but let's make a quick uh, meeting with the major Japanese investor in town. Fingers crossed. All right. Okay, just look at the camera, sir. Okay. <laughs> All right, over here, please. O- over where? Where do you want me to look? Guys, I'm a set of cameras. The camera. Over here. Woo! Mr. Mr. Patterson. Mr. Patterson, follow the keys. Oh, oh I hear the keys. I hear the keys. Oh, over here. Oh, oh, oh. There it is. I see it. Hey, great work with the keys, Craig. I like it. I think you'll fit in just fine here. Thank you, sir. That, that means a lot. Okay, Richard, smile for the camera. And three, two, one. You get where I'm going with that? We have got a brilliant head. Jesus, there's no flaw. But does our church look more like that baby's body? How mature? Think about it. If you have a job to do, would you want to do it in that body? 
God's purpose is for us to grow up and to mature and to become competent, to become coordinated. Look at this verse out of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Kind of a buzzkill coming back after a comic video like that with the statement, but no other way to approach it, I don't think. In Hebrews 10 here, the author says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What does it take to consider one another? I know some of you guys pretty good. How many of you guys in here actually know me well enough to know what to say to me, what's going on with me, so that you could stir me on to love and good deeds? Yeah, a couple handfuls here, right? How do you know that? We spend time together. You know what we do together? We have discipling time. We also laugh and cut up, and sometimes we clean up, and sometimes we work on things. But we spend some time getting to know each other. It's intentional. Because some of you who put your hands up used to not be able to stand me. Right, Gary? (laughs) You can understand why you would feel that way. (laughs) But we got together, and, and because we basically were trying to pursue what God had in mind, why do you think it's so important for you to be involved in a discipleship group? So that you can both be considered and stirred up, and so that you can consider others in order for them to stir up. If you're not willingly engaging and committed to being in a relationship with some other people where you look at the Word of God and try to figure out how to please your Lord and Savior, not how to please a person or a church, but how to please your Savior, are you answering why church differently than God does? Are you frustrating His purpose for the church or are you fulfilling it? Are you an offense to God? Because you have the things of man in mind, not the things of God. Going on in verse 25 here, he says that we should not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, whenever I was younger, this verse was the one that was hauled out to say, you need to be here every time the church assembles. This is about coming together for church. When I was a kid, that was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Weekends every now and then where we had a visitor in. Youth rallies. Church camps. If the churches get together, you've got to be there. Why? Because we're not to forsake being assembled together. Is that what that passage is actually teaching? I don't know that it really means exactly that. And here's why. That word assembling is the Greek word episnagoge. I know that sounds funny, right? I hope I haven't mispronounced it. I'm not a Greek guy. I don't know Greek, but i got a computer program that allows me to search these things out. I have to struggle with the pronunciation. It looks to me like it means... It's a epistemagoge would be how you would say it if you were speaking it in Greek. But what it means is to collect upon the same place to complete. In other, in other words, to be assembled. Have you ever received a gift or maybe given one that had a bunch of pieces in the box and it says on the outside, some assembly required? Okay, what we're doing here this morning is we have a box. It's a concrete box. It's a lot of parts in here. We have not been assembled yet. Why? Because we don't all have the same connection with the head. Why does a a baby's body not work too well? Because the wiring isn't done. The brain, the, the head doesn't have complete control of all the body parts. Not all the body parts are listening. That's why we have to wipe the behinds and change all that stuff. Until the wiring gets done, so the connection between the members of the body 
and the head become so good that they all listen to the head. Now, I play a couple of different musical instruments. Some of them I have to get both hands to coordinate with. Sometimes I have to get my hands and my mouth to coordinate with. That never happens because my fingers are listening to my lips. It never happens because my fingers are taking directions from each other. I'm able to play with some skill to the degree that my body parts all are connected to my head and listening to that because that's where the coordination comes from. And I don't try to make my first finger be a thumb. I allow each body part to be its part. Do you see where we're going with this? Until we accept the responsibility in this congregation, we could talk about the worldwide church. And that is a great conversation to have. But man, we can't do a whole lot about the worldwide church. We've got to start with where we are. And if we're not committed to being in discipling relationships so that we can learn how to please our king, learn how to read the Bible for ourselves, do our own thinking, in other words, until you're committed to actually hearing from the head for yourself, there will be a discoordination and an infant type of a body here at Alton. How do you answer the question, why church? Do you answer it the way that God does? So why do we need to be assembled into something mature, coordinated, a functioning body of Christ? Because God needs us to do something. God needs us to do something. Ecclesia, the called out. God has a purpose. And Jesus needs a body in order to accomplish his purposes. And that leads us to the third point, the last point. And I really think that this is the ultimate way God would answer the question. Why church? Church is God's plan for rescuing his children. Church is God's plan for rescuing children. Think about it. Genesis 1, first three chapters, I think it is, tell us that God created the heavens and the earth and everything on them. The crowning jewel of all of his creation was mankind. Why? Because he had a relationship with mankind. They were his children. His children. Remember, we've already established this is a good, kind, benevolent God. He has children. What happens? Satan, sin. His children are stolen away from him. He didn't deserve that. I was a cop. Many of you know that. That was my first job as an adult. I was a police officer. I'm here to tell you, nothing motivated me faster than a call to rescue a kid. I don't think I've ever driven as fast, made those sirens screamed as loud as whenever I was, I thought a child's life was on the line. And I'm here to tell you nothing hurt worse than being too late. And that happened a couple times. Nothing felt better than being on time and taking a child and putting it back into the arms of its mother and father and seeing that relief wash over them. I didn't know some of those parents. Some of those parents weren't good parents. And yet, I would not have not taken seriously the threat to the child for a parent that, that wasn't such a good parent. How do we not take seriously what God has been, sto- what's been stolen from God? Think about it for a second. We're sitting here in an auditorium this morning. We've got all kinds of windows, Right? What would happen if we look out one of these windows and we see someone abducting a child? What would we do as a group of people? Do you think we'd go, oh, that's a shame? 
Fire up the uh, last song because I got to get going. It would look like the start of the Boston Marathon out these doors. And the only thing I'd be worrying about is why didn't I stay in better shape? I hope I can do something more than breathe heavy by the time I get there. Right? What we're talking about is fundamentally what's right. You and I, if we are in the church, if we've been saved, you understand that we were at one time kidnapped. We were stolen. And we know what it was like to be abused. We know what it was like to be locked up behind those gates that are the entryway to the dominion of darkness. Someone kicked that door down and came in and got us. And they were a part of the body of Christ. Look at Matthew 16, 18. Peter's talking to Peter, or Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, there, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. As a kid, I thought that our job was to protect ourselves from the gates of hell. That was the way other people postured themselves, and nobody really explained it to me that way. But we thought that our idea was to go to church and be faithful and to defend the truth and just keep soldiering on until the Lord comes back and gets us. Is that how God would answer that question, why church? Let me ask you, since when are gates an offensive weapon? Ever seen anybody get beat up with a gate? Maybe Samson, okay, but it's a different story, a different context, all right? Gates are primarily there to keep some people in and other people out. And Jesus said, those gates can't keep my church out. But not if our church, his church... Moves like a baby. Anybody here want to kick down gates with a body like the one we just looked at? And yet, what are we becoming? Are you becoming mature? Are you answering the question, why church, in a way differently than God wants to answer that question? Because what's at stake here, guys, is his children have been stolen. How seriously do we take that? I want to encourage you to be serious about it. I want you to be serious about God's plan and allow him to have his way. If you're not involved in a discipleship group, why not? What's the problem? Let's get on with the business that God's got us here for. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. There's a response card that's in your, in your bulletin. If you would, just take a couple minutes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and we're going to transition back to the worship team.